Hello, listeners, and welcome back to another episode of It's Crime Time. On today's episode, I'm covering a case which was pretty widely spread on the news, the internet, and everywhere else. I typically cover a variety of cases on here, and I like to find ones that aren't well known, but this one is very well known. But it was too crazy not to do some research on on my own. I wanted to find out everything I could by myself. And I'm talking about the case involving Orshaw Yagal and David Benola. All right, everyone, it's crime time. So I'd like to stop and make a note about Urshelia Gall's name. I did some research on the pronunciation of her name as to not disrespect her in pronouncing it incorrectly. I've noticed there are many ways that people choose to pronounce her name. I looked her up on Facebook and noticed that she had a pronunciation of her name and it is pronounced Urshelia on there. So I will be pronouncing it that way throughout this podcast. My apologies if that is incorrect. But I know there are many ways that people pronounce it on the news and the internet and etc. So I just wanted to make note of that. Orshaya was born in Budapest, Hungary in 1971. Sources say she was 51 and some say she was born in 1969. But that wouldn't have made sense. She attended the Budapest School of Business and Management. She traveled to Hungary frequently as she still had family there. She also traveled to Guatemala, Croatia, and China, according to her Facebook. According to her Facebook, she traveled all over. She loved traveling. That was was one of the big loves of her life. She was very active on Facebook, actually constantly posting beautiful pictures of her travels. She was known to be a very caring and good mother to her two sons. She spent a lot of time taking them traveling with her. She spent a lot of time on their educations. She was just a very, very kind person, and she was loved by so many people because of her demeanor and how nice of a person she was. She was a very fun-loving person, happy, nice, and people just enjoyed her presence. Urshaya had a husband, who is Howard Klein, who, according to his LinkedIn profile, was a business partner for RK Equity, which he founded. He also was supposedly a dealer of lithium used to power electronics. RK Equity is a business that is a boutique capital markets advisory firm, however. Howard and Orshaya share two children together, two sons, Leo, who is 13, and Jamie, who is 17. They also shared a $2 million home together in Queens, New York. which is in the Forest Hills location, which I'll discuss um, an interesting point I came across later. So in 2019, the family hired a man named David Benola. They hired him because he was a heating and AC repairman. David Benola is a native of Mexico City, Mexico. 
but he moved to Richmond Hill in Queens, New York City. He had an estranged wife and two children of his own who also lived in New York City. Something I find interesting is that apparently his wife and children lived also in the Forest Hills area around Orshalia and her family. Now, I don't believe that Orshalia knew his family or anything like that, um, but I did find that apparently David Benola's family did live in that area as well. And he lived in an apartment in the Richmond Hill area. David claimed that he attended New York School of Interior Design, but a spokesperson for this school said that there was never any record of him being a student there. David was a scriptwriter and an aspiring filmmaker, but he worked for an air conditioning and repair service, like I mentioned. He allegedly told people he had also been in the military, however, these claims were false. I'm not getting political or anything of that sort, um, and I have, I'm not bringing my beliefs in here about this, but David Benola is, or was, an illegal immigrant to the United States from Mexico. He moved from Mexico to the United States in 2001. And being an illegal immigrant, you obviously lack certain privileges in the country where you um, immigrated to. So there's no real way he could have attended a college in New York or been in the United States military without, you know, providing some kind of proof of um, citizenship to the United States. So I'm going to go out on a limb, I would say, not really out on a limb, and say that the majority of people that he claimed um, that he attended the school to or that he was in the military, the vast majority of people that he claimed that to probably didn't believe him when he stated this. So in 2019, David began working as a heating and AC repairman for Orshaya's family, as I mentioned, in Forest Hills, Queens. Allegedly, this is when Orshaya and he started what people call their affair. And Forest Hills, as I mentioned earlier, I would get into this little fact I found, is kind of an interesting location. It's, it's a very affluent neighborhood. It's, it's kind of a rich neighborhood in New York, but it's not really known for that much crime. It's kind of quiet. You know, not a lot of stuff happens here. It's kind of in its own little area away from the big, big city crime in New York City. But in 1977, David Berkowitz, which you should be or maybe you're familiar with, is the son of Sam Serial Killer, actually kills his victim here, um, Christine Freund, in, as I said, 1977. So that's one of the, I would say, most well-known crimes that happen in that neighborhood is the death of Christine Freund in 77 by David Berkowitz. I decided to view the Facebook pages of David Benola and Orshaya Gall. They were really sad. I had kind of an interesting, sad look at Orshaya's Facebook. As I had mentioned, she, is very, she was very, very active on her Facebook. She posted a lot of her life's, her life's events on there. She, she bragged up her children, you know, um, how great they were. And she was just excited, you know, like I said, to be a mom. She loved being a mom. And she loved traveling and she just loved her family and she posted a lot about her travels and a lot of beautiful photos of you know things she found just beautiful in the world she just loved to travel and it was kind of sad to me because she posted really all the way up until she passed away 
I noticed the first time that David Benola liked one of her photos was on February 20th, 2019. He actually loved it. Gross. He continued to love most of her photos of her travels throughout April as well, once featuring just her. On April 23rd, he made a comment on there, and I am going to apologize. I will absolutely butcher this. My Spanish is terrible. He posted, Me fascina esas calles y la arquitectura. Ese pasea y el gigante volcán y tú. That's terrible. I apologize again. Which means, love these streets and architecture, that landscape, and the giant volcano, and you. Orshoya did not reply to his comments on her Facebook when he said he loved her and things. She didn't seem that enthused about it. She didn't reply back. She didn't, you know, get all excited about them or anything, which is a little odd to me. So here and there throughout 2020, he also commented on some of her other photos. He loved them as well. He had two Facebooks, which... Um, one of them he was mostly active on had photos of him, including these really strange selfies, uh, kind of like him giving these like thinking or brooding looks with his long, like curly hair in his face. Very weird, interesting kind of photos. Uh, some of them featured photos of him at landmarks around New York, such as the Freedom Tower, a 9-11 tribute in light and a landmark in Chinatown. David was also just, he was known to have a YouTube channel. And this is kind of where he went wrong, I should say. YouTube has a feature, obviously, where you can make playlists of your favorite videos. And you can make these uh, playlists private for your own viewing pleasure. And no one will know what kind of stuff you're into. And you can make them public. I, I'm not sure, but I'm going to say that his are public. He has a very specific tastes in the things that he enjoyed watching on YouTube. A lot of them were violent crime. So they were news reports about violent crime, stabbing deaths, crime that involved like killing women. And then he watched a lot of videos on how to attract women, how to seduce women, any kind of woman, married women, uh, women in relationships. They're made by a lot of men who were I shouldn't, I'm not sure how to word this without sounding like an ass, but arrogant. They were, you know, men who thought they were some sort of, of God's gift to women or, or something of the sort. These men thought they could get any woman they wanted, you know, whether she was married or not. These videos were supposed to teach a man how to, how to seduce any woman they, they wanted. So if you're a guy and you, you find a woman attractive and you want her, this video is going to show you for sure, definitely how to get her. And she will definitely be going home with you tonight after you watch this video. It doesn't matter. She's going to forget about her man real quick and she's going to go home with you. Those kind of videos. That's what he liked. And he, he thought they worked. He thought, you know, if he watches these videos, he's going to get whatever woman he wants. Well, I had to tell you, David, but they did not work. He used to go to a Starbucks, and this is why they did not work. And he would leave love notes for the baristas at this Starbucks, and he would comment on their looks to the point where they had to actually contact the police because he was creeping them out. It was also known that he stalked people. 
a 21-year-old former barista stated, quote, he would come up to us and ask for coffees and tell us that we looked pretty and make comments about how we look. He was creepy. He stalked people. It was known. Everyone knew he was a weird individual, especially in the Starbucks on Austin Street. He even went as far as proposing to two of us, which is super unsettling because of how weird the interactions were, end quote. So he went to this Starbucks on Austin Street. He would sit there, he would get a drink, and he would just watch these ladies. And he would write weird notes in their tip jar. He proposed to them, and guess what? David, your videos on YouTube didn't work. You didn't pick up these ladies. They thought you were a creep. So, just saying. Being a creep like that doesn't get you chicks. I mean, well, maybe it gets some people chicks, but he was weird. And they contacted the police about this, and the police couldn't really do anything. I mean, they, they probably did, like, they wrote his name down or something and, and noted that he was, you know, creeping around on, on the ladies at the Starbucks. And as far as I know, he didn't get any charges or anything. I want to say shame on the police for this, but I really don't because New York City is full of like hardcore serious crime and they probably kind of chuckled at this like, ah, you know, the dude's, the dude's creepy. He's calling you pretty. He's proposing to you. Yeah, he's a weirdo, but he hasn't really tried to touch any of you guys or blah, blah, blah. You know, they probably were just so busy with other things that they didn't take this guy seriously, which is, you know, it's a shame because i mean of what he ended up doing but he ended up doing this with you know a different person but i mean what if he would have ended up doing it with you know one of the girls at starbucks i don't know it's just it's kind of weird to me how they handled this whole situation but anyway so apparently orshaya and david had an on again off again affair spanning from 2019 to 2022 i have a little bit to say about this i do have an opinion on this i'm sure everyone else does but this kind of makes me a little grumpy. I'm not sure how long their breakups lasted or when they broke up and etc. But as creepy as he sounds, I can imagine why they broke up. And I'm sure the story goes a lot deeper than we will ever find out. Early in April of 2022, Orshaya and David rekindled their affair. But apparently, they broke up again. David arrived at Orshalia's home between 12.30 and 12.40 a.m. On, on April 16th after she had returned home from a show at the Lincoln Center. So she was going to a show at the, at the Lincoln Center. She left the show. She stopped at one of her favorite places for one of her favorite drinks or her favorite drink, a Moscow Mule. She stopped at this place by herself. She got a drink. She was there the entire time alone. And then she decided to go home. So she went home. And then later, at 12, between 12.30 and 12.40, David arrived. Guess he either knocked on the door or he left himself in. And they proceeded to have a heated argument. I'm not sure if this argument began in their base or in her basement, the family's basement, or if they started arguing at the front door and he took it to the basement or she took it to the basement. But either way, the argument got very heated and David proceeded to stab her in excess of 55 times. Her youngest son, Leo, was upstairs, most likely sleeping, of course, while this was going on. Her husband and her eldest son were out of town on a trip, checking out colleges at this time for her son. David, after killing her, stuffed her body into a hockey duffel bag that belonged to one of her sons, then dragged her body about 0.4 miles from her home to the Jackie Robinson Parkway. 
He did not make too many real attempts to cover up his crime. There was a trail of blood and blood all over the duffel bag. Around 8 o'clock a.m. that morning, a dog walker named Glenn Van Nostren was finishing up a walk with his two dogs when he stumbled across the bloody duffel bag. His dogs pulled him closer to the bag as he first saw it from 100 yards away. So he's walking, he sees this duffel bag about 100 yards away. Of course, his dogs, I believe, were bloodhounds. So most dogs would have alerted on this to begin with because of the smell of the blood. They see this strange bag, they smell the blood, they start going crazy, they drag him towards this bag. He notices a pool of blood around this bag and he nudges the bag with his leg. He said he's seen some crazy shit in Forest Park, like a severed pig head before. So he was thinking maybe since the bag was pretty heavy from the blood and stuff that maybe it was some kind of large dead animal. Some weirdos, you know, put some dead animal or something in a bag and threw it out there. Maybe like a pet or something, you know, their pet died or some weird stuff happened and they just chucked it out there. But then he decided he wanted to open the bag with his right hand. He unzipped it slightly at first and then he saw a pair of pale bare feet. He kind of reached two fingers into the bag and poked at the body, to be sure. Quote, it looked like a mannequin to me. It didn't seem very meaty. It was more like a crash test dummy. I thought maybe it was some equipment that was used for something. I didn't think anything of it. End quote. He then noticed some ankle length black jeans, a belt, and a woman's waist and realized it was actually a real body. He called 911. Now, there's some conflicting accounts. I read that... Glenn Van Nostren was alone when this happened. And then I also read some sources say that there was another person there who had discovered it and called 911, but 911 hadn't gotten there. And of course, he then discovered it and he called 911 again, and then they did show up. So I'm not exactly sure. But Van Nostren thought that the body was at first the body of maybe a child or a teenager because the body was very small. This was due to the fact that she was in a position kind of curled up into like a fetal position and she was stuffed in the bag head first. I mean, Arshalia wasn't that big of a woman to begin with, but then he had her curled up into this, this fetal position just stuffed in this hockey bag. Police later were able to figure out who the deceased person was based on this trail of blood leading to the home. And they came up on Leo at the home. So Arshalia's youngest son. Some sources say they went into the home and handcuffed him, while other sources say he was walking around the yard and they, they handcuffed him and grabbed him and took him to the station to question him. But either way, the boy had no idea where his mom was and the police just handcuffed him, took him to the station to question him and determine he was not a suspect and released him. This just makes me kind of sad because he was only 13 and he probably was panicking. He was probably freaking out. You know, if any of that blood was left in the home, he's waking up wondering, you know, why his mom didn't tell him that she was leaving. And, you know, he's being grabbed by the police, being at first blamed for it. You know, he's probably terrified. I mean, he's, like I said, he's only 13. So that was a little traumatizing. And I just don't think police should have went about it that way. I think, you know, they should have, been a little nicer with him and asked him maybe some questions at the house first and then maybe took him to the station to talk to him instead of like just grabbing him and, and cuffing him like an arrest. 
The poor boy had been scheduled to have his bar mitzvah a few weeks prior to this, but since his dad contracted COVID, they had to reschedule. And so they were all excited. They were preparing for this bar mitzvah once again. But of course this this happened. So that's that's depressing, you know, that the boy was he was excited. He was waiting for his bar mitzvah again. And this happened, you know, he's in the ER, he doesn't know where his mom is, and of course he gets arrested and taken to the station and, and like I mean he got let go, but still, you know. Arshaya's eldest son and husband, of course, were on their way home from Oregon when her husband received a threatening text message from a number he didn't recognize, uh, saying, quote, your whole family is next. Your wife sent me to jail some time ago, and now I'm back, end quote. He kept telling police and news reporters that they were on their way home, and now their lives are at risk. Sunday morning, police found footage of the man dragging a wheeled duffel bag from the direction of Orshalia's home, and then the bag was discovered four hours later. So upon investigating into this, they had, I guess, inquired um, into the neighbor's cameras, or, well, they looked, when they were asking the neighbors and everything about seeing her and stuff. I guess one of the neighbors said that he had saw her, you know, in her yard, I guess when she was getting home that night. And then one of the neighbors had maybe a security camera on the outside of their, their house. One of the cameras picked up, of course, David dragging this, this bag, this duffel bag out of the home. So they did have that. And at that time, it would have been four something AM, the bag was being dragged and then they had found the bag, of course, four hours later. So after disposing of the body, Benola then fled the area through the park. He removed his jacket, which was found by police. His boots, t-shirt, and some bloody bandages were recovered from his trash on April 19th, which was stopped from pickup by police. He had also been treated at the hospital nearby on Saturday morning for wounds to both of his hands from the stabbing. A lot of times whenever someone like brutally stabs somebody, they almost always have these hand wounds and a lot of times police figure out um, or they they figure out that someone committed the crime due to wounds on their hands they always look at, at someone's hands I noticed there was also a note left on Orshaya's family's refrigerator that said get a new handyman it had been noted that Orshaya was texting three or four men the night of her murder I'm not sure if one of them was Benola However, they were looking into speaking with the men she was texting and the handyman that had been working for the family because they saw the note. So that's when David later approached a police car that Wednesday due to being wanted for questioning in the case. And he said, I heard you're looking for me. When he was brought back to the police precinct, he made some incriminating statements about the events of Saturday. He was then arrested and charged with second degree murder first-degree criminal tampering, fourth-degree criminal possession of a weapon. And I'm just going to stop that real quick and play you the detective's statements after arresting Benola. Good morning, everybody. Chief James Essig, Chief of Detectives in the New York City Police Department. With me here today is from the Patrol Services Bureau, uh, Chief Carlos Valdez from Queens North. Commanding Officer of 112, Inspector Joe Kappelman, uh, the Assistant Chief Joe Kenny, the Citywide's Investigation Chief, 
Julie Morrell, the Queen's investigation chief, who uh, led this investigation. Lieutenant Timmy Thompson from Queen's North Homicide. The two case detectives, Detective Carmine Caruso from Queen's North Homicide and Detective John Benzoth from the 112 uh, Precinct Detective Squad. Good morning, everybody. Last night, while detectives were canvassing for video, they observed a male who was wanted for questioning in a horrendous homicide. He voluntarily came back to the 112 precinct and made incriminating statements. Today, that male, David Onoa, male 44 years old, residing at 10418 114th Street in Queens, New York, is being charged with murder in the second degree, criminal tampering in the first degree, and criminal possession of a weapon in the fourth degree in relation to the death of Osolia Gal, female 51 years old. This investigation is still preliminary. There is a lot of work left to do, but this is what I can tell you. On Friday night, April 15th, Miss Gal attends a show at Lincoln Center. She takes the train back to her neighborhood in Forest Hills. At 11.20 p.m., she stops in a local establishment for a short while before returning home. We believe she returns home at 12.20 a.m. We also believe Mr. Bonella arrives at her residence between 12.30 and 12.40 a.m. Mr. Bonella is a handyman who was employed by Mrs. Gall. They have been having an intimate affair for approximately two years. He is either let in voluntarily or he uses a key he has knowledge about hidden in the barbecue. A heated argument ensues between the two in the basement. A knife is brandished, a violent struggle ensues, resulting in our victim being stabbed ruthlessly and brutally in excess of 55 times, causing her demise. Recovered at that crime scene is a knife which we believe was used. Mr. Bonella then retrieved a hockey bag belonging to Miss Gal's son, placed her in the bag, and as video showed, was seen rolling the body down the sidewalks, leaving a bloody trail through the streets of Forest Hills. At 7.50 a.m. Saturday, April 16th, that duffel bag was recovered at Metropolitan Avenue and the Jackie Robinson Parkway by a member of the public. We believe that after disposing of the body, Mr. Bonella fled through Forest Park, where investigators discovered the jacket believed to be worn by him during this vicious crime. Detectives also developed leads which led them to a location where boots, a t-shirt, and bloody bandages were discovered. Investigation also revealed that on Saturday, Mr. Bonella received treatment for wounds to both hands at an area hospital. As I said before, this case is still ongoing. We are still awaiting forensics evidence and are canvassing for more victim uh, video as we speak. But detectives through interviews, videos, and the public's help, and specifically the Queen's VA, uh, uh, Melinda Katz and her staff who have been with us every step of the way, were able to quickly take this killer off the street. I just want to assure the public, and especially the residents of Forest Hills, that there are no outstanding suspects at this time. Later in court on May 10th, 
the filing of Benola's heated argument was released. According to him, he went to the home to reconcile things, but when she opened the door to him, he told her he wanted her to tell him the truth about why she gave him HIV. She told him she did not have HIV. She then told him the affair was over, grabbed a knife, and told him to leave her home or she would kill him. Quote, I grabbed the knife and cut her from the neck. She kept fighting and we fall. She was moving and trying to grab me, so I stabbed her in the neck to get her to stop attacking me. End quote. He asserted that she had been cheating on him. She used him. She gave him HIV. He stated, she gave me HIV. She lied to me. She used me. She told me that she loved me. She couldn't be with just one person. End quote. As far as the threatening text to her husband goes, he also stated, quote, in the past, she told me that she had sent a man to jail. So I sent a message to her husband pretending to be that guy because I was scared. I took her laptop because she had sex videos on the laptop. I threw her laptop in the Hudson River where I used to visit her, end quote. So as of right now, of course, we do not know his sentencing, but as far as I have researched, he could get up to 25 years. Now, I just want to briefly touch on what I think of this whole situation. I'm not exactly sure where they gathered that Orshaya and Benola had an affair. I'm not sure if they gathered it from her Facebook, because if they only gathered it from her Facebook, she did not reply to any of his, you know, his, his comments or the fact that they, they hung out or anything, because they could have just been extremely close friends and he could have you know, pissed her off, creeped her out, and she could have been like, I'm done hanging out with you, and then she could have accepted his apology and they could have been close again. Or maybe they, they looked at her phone, they read text messages between the two, and they determined that maybe they were having an affair. But maybe nothing ever got sexual. Because I don't buy his bullshit of, you know, there were sex videos on the laptop, and obviously we know that she didn't give him HIV. That's bullshit. Every, you know... Every killer, not every, but the majority come up with their own story to try to make it in self-defense. A lot of them say, well, this person attacked me first, and so I had to kill them. Not that's overkill. You stabbed her like 55 plus times. You stuffed her body in a duffel bag. If it was self-defense, you probably would have stabbed her once, you know, called 911 and said, hey, I was attacked. I, I stabbed a person. No, this guy's a creep. He brutally murdered her because she didn't want him. So part of me believes they either never had an affair in the first place and he just was sick and obsessed with her and he thought they had an affair because they were close friends and she didn't want him that way and she tried to tell him repeatedly we're just friends and i don't want you that way or they did have an affair but she realized how dangerous and dark of a person he was and she didn't want that you know in her life anymore and she tried to, you know, cut ties with him completely, like not even talk to him, not even be his friend. And he went, you know, ballistic. And um, of course he killed her, but she was married. She was a married woman. So, you know, for him to say uh, she, you know, she can't be with just one guy. Well, that one guy is not going to be him because it's going to be her husband. She has a husband. And I'm... I just have a bad feeling that, you know, this affair thing is, I'm not sure, like I said, I don't know if the police looked at her phone and they did determine, or if they're just taking David's word for it, but 
I just don't think the affair was an affair like they say it was. I, we don't even know if it was like an, a sexual relationship. But regardless, I've seen a lot of disgusting, disgusting, vile comments relating to this story. And I just, I just find them sickening. And I wonder why, no offense to, you know, people that feel this way, you know, that have been cheated on and stuff. But, you know, you haven't acted on it, but I've seen a lot of disgusting comments like, oh, she got what she deserved. She's a cheater, blah, blah, blah. Like, are you crazy? <laughs> like, nobody deserves to be brutally, brutally stabbed, murdered, stuffed in a duffel bag, you know, and thrown on the side of the road by a creep because she doesn't want to have an affair with him anymore or she doesn't want to be his friend anymore you know no one deserves that's it's not an adequate punishment is my point yeah she doesn't deserve it for being you know for cheating i mean i've seen a lot of people say well she got what she deserved because she's a cheater no just no like i'm those comments make me so angry and i'm sure they make a lot of other people angry too but the solution to that cheating is not murder i mean we haven't heard anything regarding her husband in terms of, you know, how he felt about her little affair or whatever it was. But regardless, her relationship with her husband or and her relationship with David in terms of their like sex life or their, you know, love, their romantic relationship, that's not really our business. You know, this case was brought about because she was brutally murdered by this scumbag this creep and it was brought about as i mean as news it happened you know when stuff like that happens it comes out what happened to the person comes out in the news so her romantic relationship her sex life stuff like that that's none of our business at all period you know so for for somebody to say she deserved it because she was having sex with another man that's none of her business her husband you know he traveled a lot and he worked a lot and maybe maybe he was okay with it maybe he was fine with her being with other men we don't know we're not married to her husband we're not her we're not in their marriage you know we're not them we we're not in that relationship we we're not her we don't have that sex life her sex life's none of our business her husband's business is none of our business so but what I'm trying to say is, you know, the point is she didn't deserve it just because she may or may not have had an affair with him. But my opinion, personally, I don't believe, I don't believe that we know the whole story. I don't think that her and David's relationship is the way that it it's portrayed because most people just would not have their side, whatever, on Facebook openly posting comments that, you know, they're beautiful and I love you and stuff for their husband to see you know, out in the open, um, and she's not replying to any of them. It's it's just a little weird to me, you know, because her husband totally can see that, and, and he can see those comments, and I don't know. I just, all of that's odd to me. So, but, um, yeah, so let me know what you guys think. He is scheduled, um, David is scheduled for his hearing, and we will be finding out what his sentence is. And I will attempt to keep you all updated on that. But thank you all for listening and 
if you could kindly like and subscribe on whatever platform you get your podcasts and leave me a review.